0: to Wake Up and Read the Labels, your guide to eating simple and feeling good. If you want to eat clean and feel your best, guess what? You're in the right place. Each week, we talk about ingredients that may be holding you back from feeling your best. We also talk to some brands that are going against the grain and actually using real ingredients we can recognize. Plus, we're sharing stories with people who are just like you, who actually woke up and Read the Labels. Welcome to Wake Up and Read the Labels podcast. Today, I'm going to be joined by an integrative pediatrician, pediatric functional medicine expert, and the most important job is a mom to two thriving children. Her name is Dr. Alyssa Song, and she's helped thousands of kids get to the root cause of their health concerns. An has helped parents understand how to help their children, right? We're always loving our children, looking after our children, but often when our kids get sick, or we're looking for preventative ways, we think we can only turn to a doctor. But Dr. Alyssa is going to help you understand how to help your children thrive with their body, mind, and spirit by integrating conventional pediatrics with functional medicine. We're talking about homopathy, acupuncture, herbal medicine, and essential oils. So welcome, Dr. Alyssa. Thank you, Jen. I'm honored to be here. Super excited to chat. Of course. By the way, do you go by Dr. Alyssa or Dr.
1: Song? Oh, you can call me whatever you'd like. (laughs) Most of my patients probably call me Dr. Alyssa. You know, some call me Dr. Song. So it really and truly is your preference.
0: Okay. So everyone listening, you get a choice. You make the choice, whatever you want to call her. (laughs) You do get a choice. (laughs) Okay. So tell me, how does a holistic
1: mama doctor,
0: how does that differentiate itself from traditional pediatricians?
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting over the years and when I first started my online Healthy Kids, Happy Kids business, which is different from my brick and mortar practice, it was really in an effort to support more parents who were looking for a holistic approach to their kids' care. But I've since moved away from using the term holistic, really more using the term integrative, because as we think about it, all pediatricians really should be holistic. They should take this child in front of them in the context of their whole family structure, their friends, their schools, their communities. And that's what really taking a holistic approach is about not just looking at this child in isolation, but when we integrate, so as an integrated pediatrician, it's really about integrating. It's not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's taking the best of conventional pediatrics, which has been lifesaving for many. But as we know, there are many, many unintended consequences that we are now realizing of our conventional interventions, like the harm of, you know, antibiotics to the gut microbiome and and to babies developing gut-brain connections and gut-immune system connections. So we take the best, but then we understand some of the unintended consequences. We also don't just put Band-Aids on conditions like eczema with itchy skin or anxiety, we try to look at the root cause. So that is probably the biggest differentiator, the root cause of, you know, what is going on with this child? What is triggering? What is perpetuating this anxiety or these asthma flares or, you know, the start of this autoimmune illness? And then as an integrated pediatrician, I also incorporate different modalities which can vary by integrated pediatrician but I do use homeopathy I do acupuncture I teach parents how to use acupressure when their kids are sick I use herbal medicines supplements and teach parents how to use safely use essential oils too
0: Okay so I'm excited to dive into a lot of these things tell me when people come to you with their children are they aware that you're practicing this way and they're looking for this alternative because they're exhausted by conventional medicine and just going to the doctor and get in a prescription and kind of in this cyclical thing?
1: Yeah. So when parents come to our practice, they are seeking out a more integrative approach already because that is, you know, I make no doubt about the fact that that is how I practice and that is the patient who should come to see me. Now, the reason I started Healthy Kids, Happy Kids online is because as a solo integrated pediatrician, I just couldn't handle the number of families who really are seeking this care. And so that was an effort to be able to bring some of this education online, you know, wherever I could. And, you know, I have a different, I have patients who come, parents who choose an integrated approach from the moment that their babies are born. So they just, they want a primary care pediatrician who can offer more natural solutions and yet can also know when things like Asthma inhalers or antibiotics are really necessary. So I can write those prescriptions. And then I have families who, as you said, their kids maybe have already been diagnosed with ADHD or anxiety or some autoimmune problem or eczema. And they've been on years and years and years of steroids and topically or inhaled or antibiotics. And they may get better a little bit, but then they keep getting worse, better, worse, better. Or maybe they're just continuing getting worse. And the pediatric approach is to go to stronger and stronger medications with more and more side effect profiles. So then I have those parents who come and want to know, is there another way? Is there a way I can support my child either to um, maybe eventually get off of their medications or um, to really help them thrive, even if they do need those medications?
0: Okay. So let's start with a mother's diet while she's carrying a baby, right? Does a mother's diet have an influential presence
1: on the baby's well being while they're in the womb? 1000%. So it's interesting. There are families, parents, including myself, who note that. Wow, you know, what I craved and ate while I was pregnant, yeah. that kid likes, right? But then the other kid, they like the other thing I craved. And the cravings are very different during each pregnancy. It's fascinating. And they found that babies actually taste in the womb. They actually did this one study where moms, you know, they were told one group didn't have any change in their diet. And the other group of moms, while they were pregnant, were told to eat a lot of carrots, right? <laughs> carrots, carrot juice. And the babies whose mothers ate a lot of carrots had a preference for carrots when they started solids. And so, you know, the taste, imagine, you know, amniotic fluid is your baby's first quote, food. And I'm saying that it's not the nourishment for them. All that comes through the placenta, but still babies, you know, swallow and exhale and it all goes through. And so they can smell and taste, you know, whatever you're eating. So that's one piece of it. Eventually we want our children to, if we have a vision in mind of how we would love our children to eat when they're older, we'll start while you're pregnant, right? You know, if you want your kids to love vegetables and have a variety of fruits and plant-based foods and healthy proteins, then don't stuff yourself with ultra-processed foods while you're pregnant.
0: Don't live at the ice cream shop just because you're
1: pregnant. That's right. That's right. Now you can have that every once in a while, right? I'm not saying never ever, but again, the work you do is really so important in teaching parents and kids how to make those clean choices. And that's especially important for moms because we know how powerful the impact is of mother's vaginal microbiome and gut microbiome. Now, a lot of people have heard of the gut microbiome and they're like, a vaginal microbiome? Yes, All of our organs have their own microbiome, including our vaginas. And as we birth, we want that to be healthy, hopefully, you know, vaginally birth. But we also really, really need our our gut microbiomes to be healthy. And in fact, the health of mother's gut microbiome can really influence how healthy your baby's gut microbiome develops in those early stages of life as a newborn. And through that really key, um, very critical period of gut microbiome development in the first, you know, zero to three, three and a half years of life. And so anything that can support an optimal gut microbiome in mamas is going to help support an optimal gut microbiome in babies. Now, why is that important? The gut microbiome, we call it the second brain. It's probably our first brain because it is so key in communicating with your baby's brain and informing how your baby's brain connections start to develop. 70 to 80% of our immune system lies in our gut. So if we want our baby's immune systems to be healthy and appropriate, not tip over into asthma, allergies, eczema, things like that, we need their gut microbiome to be healthy. And what we eat absolutely affects our gut microbiome. If we're eating really great, you know, fiber filled, you know, phytonutrient rainbow foods, fermented foods, that's going to support a healthy gut microbiome. If we're eating foods with all of these FDA approved additives, right? Emulsifiers and, you know, all the different chemicals that are artificial colors, those directly, you know, artificial sweeteners, there's increasing evidence that many of those, and I will say probably, I mean, eventually we're probably gonna find all of those negatively impact the gut microbiome, which when you're pregnant, knowing how important that is, it's really important to then make sure that your gut microbiome is really resilient and packed in with all those nutritious foods.
0: Love it. So gotta read the labels, gotta understand what the heck these ingredients mean. When you're looking at the labels, they're greenwashing you to think it's healthy, And so I had to bring that up because I have tons. I mean, I'd say 99.9% of our audience is women. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are in the birth child carrying years. Um, But they often come to me, they are pregnant and they feel just exhausted all day. They're craving so many foods throughout their day. They're having headaches. They're having mood swings, yada, yada, yada. And I explained to them, you know, hey, you don't have to be, you don't have to be young. You don't have to be old. You don't have to be pregnant, not pregnant. Like this is for everyone. This is the way food should be. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, well, I'm going to do it when I'm not pregnant because, you know, I'm going to take care of me after. But they just don't understand the importance of, no, you need to give your body real nutrition at such an important time when it's trying to grow a baby, develop a baby. And like you're saying, have influential presence on the baby's well-being. So. I appreciate you sharing that. I know when this podcast comes out, we're a little bit before this season, but it's going to be cold and flu season. Mm -hmm. And so let's dive into some tips of how to prevent a cold, number one, and then some things to do if you were to get a cold.
1: Yeah. I love that. And, you know, we really want to look at what are some of the preventive steps that are going to support your child's immune system. And there are so many. So I'm going to list off a few and I have um, a really in-depth article on this. So Mm -hmm. you always start, you just start one step at a time, right? If you guys are already as mamas living a super clean, you know, lifestyle, have your kids are eating a rainbow, doing great with their diet, there may be some, you know, added things that another mom is like, okay, I need to first start with maybe getting out the Gatorade on the weekends, right? And so you need to take it one step at a time. But, you know, the first thing to know, I would say one of the biggest disruptors, uh, negative influences on our children's immune system is the amount of sugar that so many kids have. And it's sugar in hidden sources. And so this is, again, where you have to read the label because it before I started reading labels, this is even me as a holistic pediatrician. I'm, I'm patting myself on the back because I'm like, Oh, hey, I am feeding my kids vanilla Greek yogurt. They get protein in and they get cultured, you know, probiotics in in the morning. And then one day I just, I was like, Whoa, let me just look at this label. And I was shocked that one serving of vanilla Greek yogurt had 31 grams of added sugar.
0: Shameful. No wonder the kids love the yogurt. Like mom, pass that over.
1: Yep. And I thought, oh, it's vanilla. It's got less sugar than the strawberry pureed one. Not necessarily. The vanilla one sometimes is the most. And anyhow, so just to put that in perspective, 31 grams is about... Yeah, I mean, what is that? That's over six teaspoons of sugar right there. And in one day, your child should have no more than 25 grams of added sugar Yeah, or less, right? But if we look to see where those are hiding and now why is that important for your immune system? Because one of the studies, and this study is actually from, I want to say the 1970s or the 1980s, where they took, you know, immune cells, you know, white blood cells and um, exposed them to a sugar load or had people eat a sugar load and found that the activity of those white blood cells, uh, ability to fight off different viral infections was reduced by 50%.
0: Wow.
1: Right. And that effect lasted for, I mean, it started within about 20 minutes and lasted for at least five hours. So, that's why you know we often think, well, okay, we go to a birthday party, there's lots of candy and cake and ice cream, and there's lots of germs going around and kids invariably the next morning will wake up with that snotty nose. But you know what? If their body maybe had more defenses against whatever they were exposed to, they might not have that snotty nose. So that's one thing, just watching the sugar, trying to limit that. The other thing, we know that there are some foods that are rich in the minerals that support your immune system. So I have a shopping guide, a food is medicine for immune resilience that I have parents print out, put on their refrigerator and have kids pick out different foods that they want to shop for every week just to get a little bit of that in. So one of the most important nutrients that many, many kids are deficient in is zinc. Zinc is really important for supporting the immune system. It's also really important for supporting mood. It's important for supporting growth. Your picky eaters who don't like different textures or smells, or maybe have some sensory issues, the tags on their shirt bug the heck out of them, or they can only wear the softest, the same, you know, sweatpants all week long, all day long, all every month long. That often is related to needing more zinc in your diet, or maybe even as a supplement. So zinc levels are highly correlated with animal protein intake, but you can also get zinc from pumpkin seeds and nuts and seeds and, and, you know, different plant-based foods. So you can get that variety in. And so upping your zinc, but then a lot of kids actually need a little extra zinc. So what are the main supplements that I might focus on to support immune health? Number, number one is vitamin D. Okay, number one. So much so that I wrote an article, mm-hmm. why all kids need vitamin D. I mean, maybe not all, but probably all do. Even in the middle of the summer, we call it the sunshine vitamin because your skin can convert vitamin D from the sun. But even in the middle of the summer, when kids are out all day, get that beautiful golden tan and I will measure kids' vitamin D levels. And very often they're just skirting the way bottom of the normal vitamin D level or they're outright deficient because our... Bodies are just faced with so many different factors that are just using up vitamin D. Vitamin D is really important for mood, focus, attention, anxiety. It's really important for immune system functioning. You know, if your kids have eczema or asthma, it's really important to support that. So I would say if we're going to focus on one, like the biggest hitter for immune supplementation for this cold and flu season, it would be vitamin D. Okay. That would be the number one. So I think those, you know, there's a, probably good places to start. And then of course you could go down the rabbit hole and do a ton of other things, but you're going to get so much, you know, of a healthier immune response if you do those.
0: Okay. Quickly with the vitamin D, I talk about this importance of vitamin D just with my clients, because I learned all about the epidemic of low vitamin D here, especially, but do parents have to know what their vitamin D, their, their kids' vitamin D levels are? Or is that something kind of like vitamin C? We should just be getting supplement of it.
1: So that's a great, great question. Vitamin D is what's called a fat-soluble vitamin. And in fact, it was misnamed a vitamin. It's actually a pro-hormone. But it was, um, because it is fat-soluble, you could theoretically take too much and that it could get stored in your blood, in your fat cells, and potentially build up to too high of a level, as opposed to vitamin yeah. C, which is a water-soluble vitamin, which means it doesn't get stored in your fat cells. You could take 10,000, milligrams of vitamin C in one go and you might get some diarrhea from it, but you're also going to pee out the extra. So that being said, the idea of getting a blood draw, I love testing when I can because sometimes we have no idea how much your kid actually needs until we test. But you know, blood draws aren't necessarily the favorite for kids. I will say as an aside, if you use a numbing cream, there's a numbing cream that a lot of women will use for things like waxing, but you can use that for blood draws. And it is amazing at making that experience much less uncomfortable for kids, but you don't have to measure. A good rule of thumb is in general, a, a Safe dose, a maintenance dose, if you already have adequate levels too, is about 1,000, I use 1,000 international units of vitamin D3 per about 25 pounds of body weight up until you get to 100 pounds. So at that point, over 100 pounds, you just kind of cap out at 5,000 I use a vitamin D three. Now you wanna read the labels because sometimes the vitamin D will be listed as, you know, micrograms instead of I use. So, so then you need to do that conversion. But at that level, so if you have a a five year old who weighs, I don't know, let's say a five year old who weighs fifty pounds, it would be totally safe mm-hmm. to give 2000, I use a vitamin D3 every day. Now, you know, always run that by your pediatrician and ask, but um, you know, that in my experience and in the much of the literature, that is a level that would be adequate. It's often, if your kids are low, it's not going to be necessarily enough to bring them up to optimal levels. And when you ask your pediatrician, you know, somehow in the conventional medical world, <laughs> the idea is it's, thought that, oh, anything over a thousand IUs of vitamin D3 is high dose, which is yeah. just ludicrous. I mean, a thousand IUs for most people isn't going to make a dent in optimizing their blood vitamin D levels. So your your pediatrician may not necessarily know how to support healthy vitamin D levels, but at least ask and just know that with the, the vitamin D council does typically recommend a maintenance dose of a thousand IUs, per 25 pounds of body weight up to a hundred pounds. And then it kind of caps at that.
0: Beautiful. Do you have any brands that you recommend for that vitamin D or do you sell any?
1: Yeah. You know, vitamin D, th- so there are some supplements like omega-3, you know, fatty acids, fish oils, and probiotics that I'm very particular about mm-hmm. the quality, the manufacturer. I'm going to be totally honest with you guys, vitamin D3, I'm not as particular about because, you know, there's not um, a huge range in, um, we don't have to worry too much about impurities and quality and things like that. Okay. So over the counter, there's Nordic Naturals and Carlsons are really, you know, easy to find brands. Most companies do have a vitamin D3 supplement. We have one too. We have a Healthy Kids, Happy Kids brand of vitamin D3. We have drops, oil-based drops, MCT oil-based drops that are really easy to give to kids. They're tasteless. And we have capsules for kids who can swallow. We even have a vitamin D3 gummy that is low, low, low sugar, right? 0.5 milligrams, 0.5 grams of sugar per serving and has a blend of organic fruits. So, but guys, there's a variety. Like I said, I'm not as picky about vitamin D supplements.
0: Okay. Good to know. So with that being said... Those are some ways to prevent the cold. What should one do with their child when they're under the weather and they're experiencing cold symptoms, such as, you know, runny nose? I know for me personally, mm. when I used to get colds, my asthma would flare up, things like that. So what what should a caring parent do here to help their child get through it and feel good?
1: Yeah. So that's a great question because as this episode launches, we are going to be in the midst of cold and flu season and whatever the health officials want to call it, whether it's a quote, triple demic of flus and RSV and COVID. And of course you have your Common colds too. So, I mean, last year they were, some were calling it a quademic. Now I'm going to step back and say last winter was a really rough winter for a lot of families with illnesses. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe, you know, that in large part was due to the lack of exposures to these very, very common viruses like RSV and common colds, coronaviruses and rhinoviruses that children lacked in their earlier years and their twos, threes, fours. And then all of a sudden, as life opened up, as, you know, as now we're so glad that life has opened up for our kids, but there was an onslaught of exposure to these common bugs that immune systems just did not have the practice with. And so this year, and I hope I don't, you know, I'm not going to eat my words. But this year, I do anticipate that kids will fare a lot better. Let's just take, for instance, with RSV, respiratory syncytial virus. Last winter, there were a lot of reports of kids, even older kids. We usually think of RSV as something that is really more impactful for children under a year of age, maybe two years of age, really affecting their breathing. But last year, there were kids who were maybe four or five years of age who were getting really, really sick from RSV. Now, before the pandemic, most studies showed that almost a hundred percent of children got RSV by the time they were two years of age. And the vast majority were either asymptomatic or had very mild cold symptoms. So now as we head into our second year, really fully open after the pandemic, we should see that most of these children have had RSV and sure you can get it again, but, you know, typically on a much milder level. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, I, I do, I, always, always believe that knowledge is power. And so as parents, as we go into that, it's the uncertainty that makes us afraid, right? It's the uncertainty that makes us worry. So that's one thing, just go in knowing, okay, you're doing all the things you can to support your child's immune system, make it resilient. The goal isn't necessary to protect them from every single illness, but to really make sure that they can weather any illness really quickly and completely. The most important thing when kids are sick, I think, is to step back and understand that it's okay for your child to feel sick right? It is okay for your child to feel crummy because that is something, a physiologic response called sickness behavior that every single animal species does when they're sick. You want to sleep all day. You don't really want to eat that much. You want to just cuddle up and maybe you're a little grumpy and you want to be left alone. That is your body telling you, I need to slow down. I need to rest. I need to be alone. (laughs) It's important. Yeah. It's important to be a couch potato, right?
0: Yeah, it's a part of the healing process, right? And I know I'm in the the time where my kids are active and I'm around a lot of parents who work. And so when a child feels sick and ill, I know a lot of us are guilty for giving our kids Tylenol or Advil to get them back into the sports, back into school, so that it doesn't mess up their schedule. It's like parents today, they have a schedule, they have a plan, and they don't want to go off plan at all. And so I do think it's important for people to understand that, like, no, if your kid's sick, let them be sick. Let them feel those things.
1: That's right. It's like when kids... Twist an ankle or, you know, have a little league elbow when they're playing soccer or playing their sports. And I tell kids and parents, look, the longer you can actually rest and fully heal, the faster you'll actually get to full competitive playing. And the better the chance that you're going to finish out the season without another injury, right? I mean, it's the same thing with colds, right? The more you can rest your body and, and one thing to think about is when you have a family of, three, four, five, whatever it is, we all know not everyone gets the same symptoms when the same cold virus is circulating around the house right? It could be, you know, Johnny has little sniffles. Alice has a sore throat and a headache. Mom has almost nothing. And dad is like laid out, you know, on the bed, like on his deathbed, right? Severe
0: man cold. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But why is that? It's the same cold virus. Our body's response to that cold virus is what is going to trigger those symptoms, right? And so, When we get sick, our immune system creates something called oxidative stress or free radicals. And it's, it is those free radicals that make us feel achy or crummy or, you know, have different symptoms. So how do we get rid of those free radicals more quickly? antioxidants. So colorful fruits and vegetables. So eating really clean, even when you're sick, you know, if your kids are feeling miserable, don't think you're treating them by getting them, you know, French fries and, you know, donuts. Ice cream. Right? Yeah. You want to just make sure that you're supporting their immune system. And then the two things that I make sure that parents have on hand and we travel with, I mean, the holiday season, we travel with these. There's one homeopathic flu remedy called oscillococcinum. If you go to Whole Foods or even CVS during During cold and flu season, you will see that at the countertop. That is not just for flu, but also for any flu-like illness. So if you have any, you know, respiratory illness, fever, body aches, chills, headaches, you know, the start of a cold, flu, whatever it is you take one of those vials and you do that three times over a 24-hour period. And some of the studies have shown that that can significantly shorten the duration of your symptoms and time to recovery compared with placebo. And then there's an herbal syrup that's really yummy that that is called V-Clear. It's by Integrative Therapeutics. Over the counter, you can find it as Umka, U M C K A, Umka cold care syrup, cherry flavored syrup. They're the same thing. They have an herb called Pelargonium sidoides. Now, a lot of big words there, but why do I love this? Because Pelargonium sidoides in in vitro research, so this is in test tubes, has been found to have activity against. So many viruses, including virtually all the viruses that cause winter respiratory illnesses. So the common cold coronavirus, RSV, adenoviruses, rhinoviruses, even herpes cold viruses, some evidence against SARS-CoV-1, so the first SARS-CoV-1 virus, and even possibly against SARS-CoV-2, theoretically so, which is the COVID virus. So, you know, while there can't be any claims to, oh, this is the cure, there's really compelling evidence that they're going to help support your immune system against virtually any virus that comes your way this winter. And it's easy to take. And since I've incorporated that into my recommendations for my patients and started doing that with my own family, I've seen huge improvements in quick recovery time.
0: Love it. Such great information. I know our audience is going to love this. I do have some questions for my clients that I want to throw in here. But quickly, I do also want to discuss the Healthy Kids, Happy Kids... Information that can give people more help and assistance because they might be saying, Oh my gosh, my doctor doesn't talk to me about any of these things. I need to do, you know, go through the checklist, see what my kids are doing and not doing. Do you have a program for that?
1: I do I have a couple of things that that would be free for you guys, okay. I mentioned the food as medicine for immune resilience the the shopping guide that is one of my most favorite handouts because it's so useful in also enlisting kids in choosing foods that are going to support themselves through the winter. Mm-hmm. I have a free ebook called What to Do When uh, the Biggest Mistakes that Parents Make When Their Kids Have a Fever and What to Do Instead. And I have an online course called Everyday Holistic Pediatrics, which as we speak right now and recording, it is being revamped and it's going to be amazing and will hopefully be ready to go by the time this episode launches. One thing to look for, I do provide a lot of information on my Healthy Kids, Happy Kids website. That's healthykitshappykids.com. And Instagram is where I love to share information. But I do have a book coming out in May of 2024 that's all about creating microbiome magic. So much of what we spoke about today is in there. And we will it will just really help make all of this information more practical and more accessible to every single parent, even if you don't have a holistic pediatrician.
0: Quickly, I know one of our members had asked about eczema in children and Mm -hmm. ear infections. Can you quickly touch base on maybe ways to prevent and how to treat?
1: Yeah. So let's take ear infections first because ear aches are the number one reason for a visit to the pediatrician's office. And so the first thing to know is that ear infections are typically caused by, well, they can be caused by viruses or bacteria or a combination of both. And many, many, many ear infections will resolve without antibiotics. So, and of course, antibiotics, which are, um, they kill bacteria. But if there's a viral component to your child's ear infection, which there often is, the antibiotics aren't going to do the trick. And so we often see the situation where kids will get an ear infection. Doctor looked at the red ear and the child's prescribed antibiotics. He take the antibiotics. they might feel a little bit better. And then, you know, maybe three, four, Five weeks later, a couple months later, another ear infection because that first one hasn't fully cleared and the issue with the antibiotics i mean there there are a bunch of different issues there's one issue with the fact that now you know just worldwide from a public health perspective we really need to be able to use antibiotics judiciously we are in a worldwide crisis of increasing antibiotic resistance where even simple infections we may not be able to treat with antibiotics so we really need to choose antibiotics and use them wisely from a individual perspective, we also need to understand that antibiotics don't just kill the bad bacteria. They're not selective. So yes, they can kill the bad bacteria that we want to kill, but they can also kill all of the good bacteria in our gut microbiome, in our other microbiomes. So they can kill all of those probiotics. And so when we take antibiotics, we really need to make sure we're restoring the gut microbiome after antibiotics. Now, before we use antibiotics, there's several things that we can do. There's an herbal drop that has been studied with um, garlic, mullein, St. John's wort. I use a brand by Herb Farm, P-H-A-R-M, Herb Farm. I think it's just called children's ear oil that has this exact combination that was studied and it can significantly reduce the pain. So it works as an analgesic and also can kill bacteria and viruses because garlic is a general, you know, antimicrobial compound and won't harm your internal gut microbiome because you're not taking orally. So that's one thing. It, it is amazing how well garlic eardrops can work in many, many ear infections. And then I also use homeopathy as well. And so homeopathy for ear infections really vary, but you could always start with that Oscillococcinum that we spoke about when it comes to cold and flu. If your child has recurrent ear infections and there's a discussion around ear tubes or there's concern, for persistent fluid behind the ear. Then from a functional integrated pediatric standpoint, I always think, well, why is that? What is there that is continuing this inflammation in this child's body and creating more and more mucus, you know, pus behind the ear? And so we look at foods and environment. There may be environmental allergies. Maybe your child actually has undiagnosed hay fever or dust mite allergies that are constantly creating this mucus in their sinus and ear passages that needs to be taken care of. Maybe your child has pollen allergies or undetected food allergies or food sensitivities. Now, the number one foods that can create this increased inflammation that are worth a trial off of for at least two, three weeks to see what happens. And this is going to also hold true for eczema. These are gluten and dairy. Can I guess? Yes. What were you going to guess?
0: I was going to guess dairy. Dairy was my go-to.
1: Yeah. Dairy is number one for just constant mucus. A lot of adults will notice when I have ice cream, I get congested, right? And so it's the dairy and then also gluten. Both of these are very inflammatory to people in general. So worth a try off. And then, you know, when it comes to, let's talk now about eczema, same approach. What is causing this inflammation in this child's body? And also, is there anything this child needs more? of. And so yes, there's gluten and dairy that we want to try off of, see if that's a trigger for the eczema. But then for kids with eczema, oftentimes they need more zinc because zinc is really important for healing the skin. They need more beneficial omega fatty acids. So including your omega-3s, from fish oil, and then a beneficial omega-6 called GLA, which can be found in black currant oil or borage oil. And kids with eczema often have disrupted gut microbiomes. So Finding a probiotic regimen, a gut restoration regimen that helps support them as well. So it's really trying to dig a little bit under the surface. Now, for some kids with eczema, it's also because their skin is really sensitive to um, detergents and chemicals. And so just making sure that whatever we're putting on their skin, whether it's, you know, clothing that getting rid of that fabric softener, (laughs) right? Or, you know, topical lotions and soaps and shampoos and things like that can make a really big difference too.
0: Great. I love it. Yes. These are such amazing tips, amazing awareness for everyone listening about how to prevent things that your children may experience and also how to support them. So I appreciate your time, Dr. Alyssa, for everyone listening. You can go to wholefamilywellness.org. We'll also link that at the bottom of the podcast. And for all of her amazing tips, you can follow her on Instagram at healthykids underscore happykids, which also will be linked. And just, I want to circle back because I didn't hear it. What kind of free stuff do you have out there for listeners?
1: Oh, yeah. So if you go to my dot com website. That website has a lot of, um, you know, obviously free articles and resources, and you can find out more about my online everyday holistic pediatrics course. But if you go to my healthy kids underscore happy kids Instagram account, I just put up at the top all of the different free downloads that parents have found really, really helpful. So there is a food as medicine for immune resilience shopping guide. There is a free ebook the top mistakes that parents make when their kids have a fever and what to do instead. If your kids have allergies, then I have um, a download for, you know, the top homeopathic medicines for allergies. So there's a bunch of them. You can choose and see which ones uh, are relevant for your kids.
0: For sure. Okay. I know I'm myself going to be checking this out as well. I'm excited. I appreciate your time so much. And I hope you have an amazing day. And I hope everyone listening gains some value of how to take control of their children's lives a little bit more naturally. So thank you, Dr. Alyssa.
1: All right. Thanks, Jen. It's been great being on.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Wake Up and Read the Labels. If you like this episode, guess what? We want you to share it. We'd love that. Share it with a friend and leave us a review. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or really wherever you're listening to your podcast. For more information, visit us at wakeupandreadthelabels.com.